What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, November 8th, 2021, and this week's episode, The Hands versus the Feet. We'll be recapping all of the insane action from UFC 268, two champions retain their titles, possible fight of the year, and finishes, finishes, finishes. It was quite the amazing night. We'll also look ahead to this coming Saturday where we have a fantastic featherweight showcase featuring one of the best in the world, Max Holloway, taking on top contender Yair Rodriguez, and touching on some of the news in between. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Welcome back from the Big Apple. Uh, you're fresh from the airplane, right, yesterday afternoon or something like that? So I want you to think about this. So remember, it's a three-hour time difference. So yeah. when it starts on the West Coast, the main card for us local time doesn't start till 10 p.m. Oh, it's horrible. I got out about maybe 3.30. I think I was officially done and walking out the door at about 3 a.m. from Madison Square Garden. And then remember, I wake up, and what happens? It's daylight savings time. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, my concept of time really, you know, it's like, what time is it? I don't know. I don't care. Um, it was a beautiful trip. It was a lot of martial arts and pizzas in New York. So I'm like two-thirds of the way to becoming a Ninja Turtle. But it was a fantastic, <laughs> uh, fantastic trip, i got to say. All right. Um, I can imagine how nice it was to watch it on TV. And just enjoy the bonanza without having to worry about interviews and this and that and pay attention while giving the fighter time on the mic. So I really want to hear that. But let's get started because top to bottom, this is, I'm going to say, and we'll go into it more in depth at the end, but I this is short list for one of the best cards ever. When you talk about living up to the hype and just the sheer amount of action and the way we got it. I, I really can't say much more about it than we, we could have a whole talk about how awesome it was without actually talking about one fight. But let's talk about one fight. Kamar Usman taking on Colby Covington, the rematch. They fought roughly about two years ago and we got treated to another five-round contest. This time it did go the distance. Remember, Kamaru did get Colby towards the end of the last one. And really, my biggest takeaways were Colby's toughness, his sense of urgency in the second portion of the fight. But of course, it was really about the technician that was Kamaru Usman. He had the power. He had the better shot selection. And through those first 15 minutes, that was enough to get him the win and in the last 10 to keep those fights, those rounds were close. I gave them both to Colby, but they were 10-9. And really, Colby tends to 10-8 people when he gets going like that. So the fact that Kamaru delivered the damage back to keep that fight close, I, I was just very impressed with that. What were your thoughts? Also impressed. I, I was a little surprised, though, by Colby initially because it wasn't the Colby I'm used to seeing the one that presses forward and is just kind of hitting you with high volume. But he had to adapt. You know, if he did that again with Kamaru, it would end similarly to how it ended in the first fight, but probably sooner. So he had to play a lot smarter. He was cautious. I would say a little too cautious, though, at the beginning. And obviously, you know, that's why, that's not specifically why, but that's part of why Kamaru was able to win those first three rounds. So I, was, I kept waiting. I kept saying, well, Colby's not moving like he used to. He's not moving like he used to. But, okay, that was the necessary change he had to make. And it kept him from getting beat up, you know, really fast right away. But at the end of it, he still had a battered face just like he did in the first fight. Just, you know, I don't think a broken jaw this time. So, yes, happy to see Colby pick it up at the end. And there was something about Colby finally turning it up in rounds four and five, that made me think, despite my personal feelings for him, I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if he won this, if he just shocked the world and was able to pull this off. Because at that point, it was like Kamaru, everyone was just praising Kamaru's you know, skills and how he just keeps getting better and better and better. But Colby dug deep. You know, he had to survive that round two where he got dropped twice, dug deep in rounds four and five, 
that that shows a lot. And and at the end of it, when you see that really nice exchange between them, shaking hands, and her uh, Dan Rigliotta has to tell him, you know, separate. I was happy to see that. You know, it's something that, for as polarizing as his persona is, you know, you see in moments like that how much of an act it is. When you think about someone like Ronda Rousey, who was just all in on her feelings about somebody, it wouldn't matter at the end if they had, you know, like the Misha Tate handshake. It wouldn't matter at the end if there was some kind of, you know, sense in the air of, you know, you guys should shake and make up. For her, it was like, no, I didn't like you when this started, and I don't like you now that it's over. And that doesn't sit well with people. You know, you want to see good sportsmanship. So it was nice to see Colby display that because he is probably the most unlikable guy in the sport to, to some, to a lot of people. Um, overall though. Yeah. Kamaru, he's just getting better and better. And I think everyone was in agreement from Dana White down. Kamaru's the best. Colby's the best right behind him. But you know, it could be one of those stories where that person like Colby, uh, like, um, you know, there's so many you could think of Frankie Edgar, um, you know, just because he fought recently, those guys that get so close but never quite win. Although, you know, Frankie obviously was champion. But, you know, is that going to be the story of Colby Covington, that he's never going to win the belt or not until or unless Kamara retires? I don't know. We'll see. But uh, but great main event for sure. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Um, I think everyone knows the type of emotions Colby Covington tends to inspire in the fan base. But, um, I mean, I'm not going to rehash it. I think he's crossed the line on a lot of things. And I know that it's on purpose. He wants us to react. He wants the attention. And because it in turn, you know, look, he was a guy who's going to get cut from the UFC. And now he's one of the most talked about uh, characters in the sport. I get it. Do I think it gives him a pass on some of the stuff he said? Absolutely not. But I'm aware that even when he's crossing the line, that's not the real Colby. Uh, I do think there are some things he believes that he says. I think for the most part he does not, and that's not who that man is in his heart. But once again, it's not the ultimate feelings championship, as he said. (laughs) And, uh, you know, all right, point made. I get what you're doing. And that's where I've always stood with that. That being said, he's a fantastic fighter, and he once again pushed Kamaru Usman to be great. Um, I think that the biggest takeaway is where does Kamaru Usman rank in the just history of welterweight champions? And uh, I want to ask you that question a bit because 15-fight win streak. He wins one more. He's tied Anderson Silva's all-time great 16 fights in a row in the UFC specifically, not even to include his pre-UFC work. I do believe that Kamaru Usman, when you look at the body of work, it's hard to deny he is one of the best out there. Now, has he always had style points for a lot of these victories? No. I mean, you remember, you know, Tyron Woodley, that wasn't exactly the most electrifying night stuff like that what I will say is that when I think about where Kamaru is at right now I do think that he is kind of like in that Demetrius Johnson um kind of area he could be so spectacular but you want to get electrified knowing he's coming up and I do wonder what does he need to get to that next level so let's talk about the future because Jorge Masvidal beats Leon Edwards they're not going to run it back and I do think that UFC is probably waiting to see what happens because let's say Masvidal does beat Edwards I think they're going to just go straight up Vicente Luque I feel like it's like where else are we going Leon Edwards wins where is Vicente Luque still how impressive is he I think that that's really what we're looking at. Hamza Chimaev, I think he's still got two or three wins. He's not getting it straight up. He's not the alternate, but I think that's what we're going to see in the welterweight division. What about you? That makes sense. I can't argue with that. Um, I think, you know, yeah, Jorge Masvidal, we saw it twice. That, that's, that ship has sailed. So if Jorge Masvidal gets another shot at the title, it's going to be... Because he, I mean, I think he's got to have like three spectacular wins in a row, maybe two, 
if they're like Ben Askren level wins. Um, otherwise, we're not going to see him fight Kamaru Usman for the belt. So the other option would then be Kamaru Usman isn't champion and somehow Jorge Masvidal is still there. And he he's you know get gets matched up with let's say Colby Covington. Well, that's a great fight too. Okay, so there's a path there for that to be still pretty exciting. Um, yeah, Vicente Luque, Leon Edwards, they're right at the top there. And the way MMA works and with things falling out here and there and that you know the extra complications coming from COVID, it's possible that we could see something like Kamaru Vicente Luque in the near future. So. Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's good matchups for Kamaru. I'm going to guess he's not going to fight again till spring. Um, probably wants to enjoy the holidays and then, you know, then start thinking about what, to, what or who to fight next, what to do next or who to fight. So that's sort of how I see it. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I got the impression he was letting us know that he's really looking for he knows where he's at with the numbers, but I think he's kind of moved past, oh, staying active, being an active champion. Um, he, he said, look, I'm spending a lot of time away from my daughter who's growing up. And to me, uh, it's kind of, he wants the fights that are worth it. And one of the things I will say about that is that Leon Edwards, after a 10-fight win streak, I get it. He's not a personality like Jorge, Colby. He doesn't you know, he kind of needs the B-side to sell a, an event, right? Uh, unfortunately, B- pay-per-view, I mean. I do worry that a Leon Edwards win, we're still, you know, that Usman's still saying, well, I already beat Leon back in the day. Let's see if Leon can beat both Masvidal and Luque or something like that. In which case, I'm like, ah, come on, you know, so... I do, I do worry a little bit of that because I also understand, look, the fact is Usman knows that at this point it's high risk, low reward. Yes, Leon Edwards is doing great, but Leon Edwards, Usman isn't this pay-per-view blockbuster right now. If Leon, let's say, starches uh, Jorge Masvidal and hits him with the, you know, uh, all-inclusive buffet in exchange for the three-piece Minnesota, maybe we're having a different conversation, but... Right here, right now, I could tell you that I don't circle Usman Edwards too and say that's going to be one of the biggest sellouts of 2022. So where do we go from there? I don't know. I think it depends a lot on the schedule, on Usman's personal feelings, but I will say it's not as clear-cut as I personally would like, and I think that that's where guys like Luke A and them start to sneak into the picture. I want to touch on this real quick. Uh, I'm assuming you saw Usman's statements. He really wants to box Canelo Alvarez, who obviously fought on Saturday. Canelo did do interviews and say, "Uh, I'm not interested. I mean, what do I get out of that? Absolutely nothing. He gets nothing out of it. Oh, my God. Please stop. Okay, go ahead. So here's my one thing about that. Canelo, by the way, fantastic fight once again. That dude is is a BMF right there. Yeah. But, um... He won all his belts. He's the undisputed champion at his weight class. He's already had two fights with Triple G, and I think he's been pretty clear that's like, I, I've been there, done that. He, Triple G is the one to get something now if I rematch him. And when I look at it, I mean, what does Canelo want right now? It, it, what, what tests him? Because I, you could argue, okay, is it moving up in weight and all that? If we're about making money... I mean, he even said, I'm not going to completely shut the door on Jake Paul if they offer me the cash. In which case, I'm like, well, I mean, if we're doing it, could there be a better time to make a Canelo versus Kamaru Usman and just say, look, you know, Usman's, let's say Leon beats Jorge. Usman's over here. I already beat Leon Edwards. Luque still needs a big win. Don't talk to me about Hamzat when Hamzat hasn't fought a top five guy. I will say there's a path there, but I don't know that. I don't know if there's enough heat behind it because, uh, respectfully, Usman's fantastic, but I don't know if Usman's Conor McGregor to generate the heat to make business stop for both of them to make it happen. You get what I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. I look, McGregor opened a can of worms, he opened Pandora's box. And it was great when he did it, 
it was shocking. It was exciting. And it's just starting to become like a tedious, trite response to a big win in the UFC. Oh, I did something great. Uh, Now I want to fight this amazing boxer. Well, sir, like Canelo Alvarez is probably the greatest boxer, I mean, at least of this generation. Not probably. He definitely is. And, you you know, go back into the archives. He's going to be there overall. The kind of training and dedication he's put in specifically to boxing, you can't you can't just go from being training all in on MMA like Kamaru has been and to go to boxing, you can try it, but to fight Canelo, that's that's ridiculous. I think even Dana White was like, "Can you please stop talking about this cuz it's nonsense?" Yeah. I'm not opposed to challenging a, a, a talented boxer. Go challenge, I don't know. Uh, I mean, gosh, even even the other bigger name, bigger names than you know, big names out there besides Canelo, it's like, nope, you can't beat maybe Ryan Garcia. I mean, I don't know because of the size. Like, okay, you are come on now, Ryan's okay. I, I like Ryan. He seems like a nice kid, but come on now, Kamara should have like 40, 50 pounds on him. Well, That's okay, not... because of the size. Okay, then you're doing the Jake Paul picking on the smaller guy thing, which is uh, unfair. And okay, not That's more like Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. At least Tyron Woodley hit was within like 15 pounds. Logan was probably like 50 plus on Floyd, but I, I get what you're Oops. saying. I get what you're saying. But, um, you know, I'll say this on my last note on it because we have a stacked card. I don't think it's out of the question. What I will tell you is that I think if it's going to happen, I would rather see it when Kamaru's at 17 in a row. Like if Kamaru... I'll say, if he were to get by, let's say, Leon Edwards and Luke Gay in 2022, you know, give that man his flowers. If he wants to pursue a payday, I think that that now is the time, you know, and you could have the Hamzats and all of them, you know, uh, figure it out for a couple months while he pursues boxing. By that point, who knows where Canelo is at and what he's pursuing, but I I will say this is that because he's so close to that history, and I get it, he wants to get paid. I'm not you know, naive about why he's calling it now, but I I do think. Look, if you really make that history, and that's and you've swept the division like this, okay, let's talk about it. Because now you know. Look, outside of Leon Edwards, Luke is the only new guy who's really in the talks right now. Everyone else he's been through. So, all right, now let's start having this conversation. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to 2022 because now we're talking about history numbers, not just you know another title defense. So, by the way, I asked him; he he admitted it's a race. Him and Valentina Shevchenko, who's gonna fill up the UFC belt first with all the rubies? <laughs> I believe this one. I want to say, yeah, I want to say Usman's ahead by one with this one. So I think he should have. Two more to do it to fill up. Uh, I'll check the graphic while we're talking, but he should have just two rubies left in terms of filling it up. So I'm very looking forward to this one. Um, let's move on. Keep talking, though, shall we? Uh, the co-main event: Zhang Wei Li, Rose Namajunas. Uh, Natalie, my biggest takeaway: I loved how assertive Zhang Wei Li tried to be in all of those exchanges. Every time Rose kind of came forward, she was just trying to blast her with those, you know, winging punches, tried to add up with the kicks. I think to me, if I look at it compared to what we thought we'd get in the first fight, Rose's ability to get in and out, use her speed, use her length, and it looked like she was just like a sniper. Like she'd slip back out and bang, straight punch just right to the face of Zhang Wei Li. And those just, she just got fist to face more often. Zhang Wei Li, you know, she was doing all the right stuff. You're moving, you're trying to slow her down, you're trying to do this and that. Sometimes when you have such a technical fight, this will happen, and I've said it a lot, is sometimes, you know, you do all this and you get your setups and you're doing this, and at the end of the day, the one who wins is the one who gets fist to face the most with the most impact. And I think that you started to see Zhang Weili start to wear it a little bit. And in my opinion, the big turning point was that fourth round. Zhang Weili has a strong finish to the third round. It looks like maybe she's gaining momentum. 
she gets the takedown, and she doesn't really have control of Rose's body. It looked like she was trying to take the back, and Rose just slowly, slowly, slipping, slipping, ends up on top, ends up in the guard. And Zhang Weili spends the whole round, I think, just trying to tie her up and force a stand-up. And I was like, you know, she was doing so well, and I'm like, I feel like she just gave that round away. After it looked like she was really starting to pour it on and really might be getting away from Rose a, mi a little bit there. And then Rose just kind of capitalizes on that. And from there, it was like, ah, oh, you know, I think that Zhang Weili, the wind just got enough out of her sails after that. What were your thoughts? It was uh, surprising. You know, we expected Zhang Weili to come back better, stronger. And then we've seen her against anybody because, you know, obviously the first fight ended so quickly, like 70 seconds, 78 seconds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you knew there was going to be, it was going to be a tough battle for Rose. There was going to be a war. There was no way this was going to end fast. Whaley wasn't going to catch Rose and Rose was most likely not going to do what she did to Whaley Zhang again. Head kick, knockout, first round. Uh, I was a little nervous. Whaley Zhang was nervous because I was rooting for Rose uh, Weili Zhang was, was successful early on and Rose was having a little bit, I thought a little bit of trouble finding the, uh, the right place to land her punches because of those leg kicks. You know, she was, she was suffering. She was getting like slapped down every time she tried to, to, to enter the space. Um, but you know, eventually she figured it out and she was able to use her, her ground game. And uh, that was essentially what, what sealed the deal for her. It was a great fight. Um, and, like, you got you to gotta appreciate split decision. Like, you know, that really shows you how close it was. I, I was kind of, you know, I, was, I wasn't one of the people that was saying, you know, it shouldn't have been a split decision. That, that, that was close, man. It was close. I yeah. don't want to see another one, but um, I'm glad they, did, they ran it back. I really am. Initially, I wasn't because for me, it's like if you knock someone out from the first round, you don't need a rematch right away. Let's let them fight somebody else and move on. But I'm glad we saw it. It was a good test for both of them. I think for Rose, like what happened with Joanna after the second one, it you know can solidify for her like, you know what? I really am the darn best because look at this. Look at these names that I'm beating twice. That's that's a big deal, man. Yeah, I think that uh, to me that was really just another testament. And and we said it before the fight is that even when Rose isn't at an 11, the fact that she's getting victories is really all that matters. Because look, you're not going to always pitch a no-hitter, you know? Like, doesn't happen for the best in baseball. Why would it happen in MMA when there's so many more variables, right? Um, once again, very impressed with Wei Li. I, I, I want to see her compete again against the big names. I think that it creates for a lot of fun. Um, but talking about Rose, I think now... I got the feeling that Dana doesn't like that Carla Esparza is pulling the sit and wait card. That being said, I think that Rose knows that Carla's next. I think Carla knows Carla's next. And the only way I could see this kind of going another way is if Dana says, we're not going to give Carla a shot. We're just going to offer it to Marina Rodriguez. And I would hate for them to kind of strong arm and be like, sorry, Rose, it's not Carla. We're not making a Carla fight. We're making a Marina fight. That's the only way because it should be Carla. Carla got the 2020 win over Marina. Um... I'm not really as enthused about the whole... I, I get it's a storyline, you know, Carla beat Rose back in the day, and Ultimate Fighter, blah, blah, blah. To me, it's just about Carla's the one who's gotten the victories. She's beaten the consensus number two girl right now in Marina. The time is now, in my opinion. Also, beat Yan Shonan, who was on a yeah. great win streak leading up to it. So that, those two facts on the on their own... It should be Carla. I know probably a lot of people thought by now it would be Tatiana Suarez, someone like that. But, you know, we know Tatiana's been hurt. She's planning to move up. So, de facto, Carla Esparza should be the number one contender. I think by any category, it's hard to say that she doesn't deserve it right now. What about you? I agree. Can't, can't you know, can't see another story that makes sense. And... 
good point. Like you don't even really need to think about that first fight that tough because neither fighter is who they are, who they were. Right. Think about Carla Esparza. Yeah. She beat Rose Nami Yunus, but then think about how Carla Esparza looked against Joanny and Jacek in the next title fight. She just got demolished. It wasn't even close. It looked like, you know, amateur fighting a, 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 an alien, you know, it was just not fair. So Carlos Blas has come a long way. Rose Namajunas has too. So there's a storyline there, but I don't think Rose Namajunas was walking around beating up Joanna Janjacek twice, you know, beating Jessica Andrade twice and thinking, man, I really want that one back with Carla Esparza. No offense because I really like her, but like I just don't think that was one. That's not one that you, 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 you desire for the legacy. It's one that you desire just for like, personal closure but if you don't get it you're fine because you know in your head right if you never see carlos bars in the octagon you know you can still you know you would beat her you don't need to see her you don't need to actually fight against her to know you would beat her if yeah. you're rose down Eunice. but if you get it in your record in the record books that's great too and then on the other side of course with the with the record that carlos barza has has built it makes perfect sense let's just I'm excited to see it, but as you know, from Dana White perspective, I think he should just be like, let's just do it and get it over with so we can stop talking about it. And then we'll go on to Marina Rodriguez or whoever else is next. But like, let's just do it. There's no reason to, to skirt around this fight anymore. So my final point, because I, I want to talk about the people's main event, of course. Um, here's what I worry they might do. Because of this, they go Marina versus Rose, and then they're like, you know what, Joanna Carla too. Oh, jeez. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, to me, it's uh, to me, it's about what are you really trying to do? Because uh, what's a good way to explain this? Joanna isn't set for a Rose Namajunas rematch. If anything, you could talk more about the Whaley Joanna too right now, right? But I get it. You know, Joanna's kind of drawn that line in the sand too to say, look, the fact is, I'm a popular fighter. I want a big fight. You know, Whaley, I don't know where she stands with that, but I will say that if you're UFC, you're kind of. Are you saying that this is how much you value Carla, which. I would hope they don't do it to her like that. I personally think that it, since Carla's earned this one, she should be next. Marina, you could use Joanna to put her over. And then on another one, if you're Joanna and you beat Marina, okay, now let's start having those conversations. Maybe Joanna beats Marina, Joanna rematch Whaley. All right, now I'm, you know what? If Rose has done everything else, let's talk about Joanna Rose 3. We're about to talk about Alex Max number three, possibly. So, <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, th that's the only curveball I could see happening, and I hope I don't. I hope we, I hope everything holds serve, so to speak, as I hope it should be. So, there we are. Moving on. Oh my gosh, what was it like to watch it on TV? Um, Justin and Michael. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was exhilarating because not only because of the fight itself, how they came out just like bulls, but because it was the first fight on the main card. And so it just completely changed the the spirit. I mean, it just changed the room. It's like, okay, you know, the, the pay-per-view started. Ba-bam! You know, they just hit you with this two trains crashing into each other. It was incredible, and, and I'm glad it was, you know, early enough because my boy was still awake, and so I could be as loud as I wanted to. I didn't have to whisper my my shouts or anything, so it was amazing. It was crazy to see. Yeah, I can imagine, like, wherever you were, it's a, the energy you're feeling. You're right there with the energy, but at home with the camera angles and everything, like, oh, my God, it was unreal. Um, and then towards the end, you know, Michael Chandler just completely burned out, but not giving up. You're getting like Lando Venata vibes against Tony Ferguson, where he's just standing there saying like, come on, come on. It was, it was crazy. It, and like after round one, we're saying at home, like that could have been that, that round one could be fight of the year already. Like you don't even need to see the rest of it. That's a, that's a fight of the year period. And then they kept going. How about for you? What was it like? 
Okay, so the only way I could sum it up, so the prelims, because they all were going off, we were behind on interviews backstage. Uh -huh. And I'm not going to lie, we waited almost two hours for Ian Gary. But uh, th that's my dude right now, you know. And if you haven't seen the clip, go watch it. He gave me the best compliment you could give somebody. Anyway, um, so Alex Pereira comes in um, right a little bit at the end of round one. I swear, I had a question for him. I really remember John Morgan's talking, and then Justin Gaethje lands the uppercut. Ugh. And I could just, I'm sorry, Alex, you were fantastic. I forgot you were in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that is how freaking awesome it was. I remember I, I told the guys there, it's like, I had a question, and then Gaethje landed the uppercut, and I'm sorry, I forgot he was there. By That's the way, low-key, it was kind of cool. Glover Tashira was right there watching it next to me. And wow. I was like, ah, this is so cool. And I did say, yo, Glover, last week, that was awesome, man. Congratulations. <laughs> nice. Very nice guy. Just as nice as he seems on TV. Anyway. That's great. Um, oh, my gosh. Chandler. Oh, boy. I thought he had him. I really thought he did. And I think, if anything, that's what ended up screwing Chandler. I yeah. felt like he had a little adrenaline dump. Oh, big time. Big yeah, time. at the end of that first round, I was like, I think he, I think his body got too excited. I think yep. he, he felt it, he smelled the blood, and he couldn't get it. And my goodness, next thing you know, it's just, he keeps trying to throw the hammer, and then Justin Gaethje just keeps hitting him with more hammers. So much fun. Anybody's fight. Both of them slept great, but... The kicks and the slip encounters obviously just ran away with it for Justin Gaethje. Rounds two and three got the win. Michael Chandler that third round was just like, you know what, just F it and just yeah. come on, let's do it. And um, you notice he did a lot of talking, a lot of moving, not a lot of throwing. And I think that was a sign that he did not have the, you know, there were not enough bullets left to really just have a shootout in the end of that fight so and i think yeah, he was you know, go ahead sorry i think all the movement i know uh some people were criticizing it i think he was hoping that he could get gaichi to do something stupid and then just crack him with one of the bombs he had left but gaichi's too smart he knew what was happening yeah he did and also you know this is a perspective i didn't consider but my husband was like at the end of it he said, I think Justin Gaethje just kind of like took pity on him thinking like, cause, cause I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking at it like Chandler's just standing there saying, come on, come on, come on. And yes, you're right. You know, th there was a little bit of baiting there, but I mean, Gaethje, if I'm Gaethje, I'm looking at this guy thinking like, I'm not going to destroy his face. Like if he wants to, if he wants to me to punch him, he's got to come and punch me first, not just stand there. And, um, it seemed like it, you know, when you think about when he fought, when Gaethje fought Cerrone and he got really mad at the ref for not calling the fight sooner than it should have been called. I could see how there kind of been a little bit of a wanting to go easy on Chandler at the very, very end because it was already, you know, the fight was over. Damage was done. Yeah, I think that it was just one of those fights. Um, I could watch them do it again every week kind of deal. It was just so exciting. Lived up to the hype. Oh, yeah. If anything, I felt like the ones who really got screwed were Shane Burgos and Chito Vera because perfectly good fights, perfectly nice for Chito, nice finish. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know how to tell you this. I, I Like the energy did not stay hot. I was coming no. down a bit. I, I, I'm sorry. They, they were good fights. I think that you had they kicked off the main card with those guys, we would have said, yo, this ish is still great but instead we got a very it was a weird broadcast it was a weird event to experience in that way because chito i mean we've seen the photo i mean poor oh, one geez. out frankie edgar that um tough at madison square garden and then obviously to watch usman and rose push each other usman and rose get pushed in their title fights i mean they weren't they were great fights they were competitive fights but after you get that level of carnage to stay that hot, it was just very difficult. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I felt it. I mean, it was big air getting let out of the room. And I was thinking, I was like, because, you know, the decision to do 
Gaethje Chandler first wasn't until last week, right? I don't think yeah. it was decided. So I was saying, why did they do that? Yes, it's exciting. Yes, it's going to you know bring people into you know set up a great tone for the pay per view. But like, either you buy the pay per view or you don't. And if someone tells you you just missed like the greatest fight of all time, like I mean, are you going to go buy the pay per view or are you going to just try to find the fight online at that point? So. I was thinking about it, and it has to just be because of Trevor Whitman. Like, maybe they realized, or maybe he asked. He was like, guys, I can't do these in a oh, row. Oh, yeah. Dana admitted it was oh, the okay. Trevor Whitman thing. Okay. Which I think, I mean, Chandler's a sportsman, and I think that he was cool with it because it's like, look, I mean, uh, if it were my coach, I would kind of hope that they make some kind of exception. I think I'm going to take it to Gaethje no matter what anyway, so it's like, it's what an hour difference you know yeah. it's not like they're moving his fight for the sake of trevor whitman so i, I don't know it, that's how i felt about it at the end of the day but um certainly i could see another fighter being like well that's too bad for your girl rose but you and i got business right now so yeah yeah um you know what uh, uh straight up justin gaethje that's the next title fight uh, I want to see him rematch Poirier, take on Charles Oliveira, whichever one I'm down for, sign me up. What I will say, and we'll probably discuss it in about four weeks when we actually get the lightweight title fight, where do we go with Islam Mahachev and Benil Dariush? I know Dana teased that Benil is most likely the backup for Dustin and Charles right. in a month. I like that move. I'm interested to see because I think it really depends on, I don't know, I, I could see Islam maybe wanting the loser of uh, Dustin and Charles maybe, depending on who it is and the, the nature of the fight. And then, you know, just kind of like, I think he might feel that's a bigger fish than, let's say, Benil Dariush. And where do we go with Benil? One of them is getting screwed because... As much as I like the fight, I almost feel like they're not going to fight each other. The Ali Abdelaziz thing, I think he's going to find some kind of formula to not have them burn each other. Because if you're going to have your two guys fight, you want it to be for the title, not for a contender fight. So Yeah, that's fair. How do you cut those pieces and make it fair for everybody? You don't. Someone has to take a risk. But I will say this. Justin Gaethje doesn't take risks anymore. He, he gets a title fight for sure. Yeah, that's a no-brainer right there. But, yeah, and, and Chandler, uh, yeah. I saw Chandler tease Conor McGregor. I think that's an A-plus strategy at this point. I'm here for it. It is. And if I'm the UFC, like, that man has, has gone above and beyond to be a company man for the UFC, and I'm sure he did it for Bellator too. But, like, you know, coming in as the alternate, going to Abu Dhabi, cutting weight, not having a fight, debuting – against Dan Hooker the way he did, you know, that great fight against Charles Oliveira where he almost had him, this fight against Justin Gaethje where he almost had him, like, okay, two things. Michael Chandler needs to work on his round one um, composure, but um, if I'm the UFC, thinking about the fight he put on, the warrior he was at the end, still trying to be an entertainer, I'm giving that man a lot of love, a lot of bonus checks, and I'm giving him a lot of support. Say, what do you want to do next? Do you need time off? If you want Connor, we'll make it happen. But like, I, you know, I don't want them looking at him as like, well, you didn't pan out because there's no way you could say he didn't pan out. You know, Justin Gaethje lost his first, no, his, his, like out of, he lost two out of his first three fights, right? And now look at him. So what I'm really saying is I hope that they stick with Chandler, give him a chance to regroup. He's done great things already in this division that didn't even need it. The division was hot on its own. And he's added more, so that's all. Yeah, I think um, it, it just really... I'm wondering where does he want to go from here? Because like we said, you know, he, he's clearly got a lot of fight. I think the Connor fight, he likes it because, you know, he doesn't want to be a middle-of-the-pack guy, and Connor would yeah. be a big fight once again. But where do you put it? Is that what Connor wants when we actually get there? A lot of questions. By the way, real quick. Colby versus Jorge, no matter what happens with Masvidal, because Jorge is not getting a Usman again, even if he beats Leon. I brought this up to Colby. Do you still want to see them coach tough? Because I'll be honest, I do. Oh, yeah, I do. That's going to be great. Like, 
you don't even need to see the fights. Like, let's just film them jibber-jabbering at each other for five episodes. You know what? I think it'll be great television. I'm ready for it. Um, talking about uh, the prelims, I mean, uh, Chris Ooh. Barnett with that spinning wheel kick does the front flip. Alex Pereira, Ian Gary, the second coming of Conor McGregor. I know that's a, you know, you got to do a lot more than that, but he's got the ingredients, right? I like the picture. He's like a teenager and Conor oh comes God, in. Such a dork. Yeah. Right? Or Conor, I guess he was working at this like a men's warehouse type of deal and Conor came in for a suit and I'm like, I would lose my, you know what, if Conor yeah. McGregor walked in and I'm a young fighter. So I, I think it's a great story. I think he knows what he's capitalizing on. But Bobby Green there too. It was, I mean, go ahead. Pick one to talk about. I, I'm ready for it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's tough to pick. And, and But Chris Barnett, I hadn't, I don't was that his UFC debut? I had not seen that man fight before. I think he'd been cut before. And he, this okay. was his fight back. When a man of that size is so agile, it blows me away. And this guy was just hopping around like a like a gymnast, like a 12-year-old gymnast. And, you know, even before the knockout, I was like, wow, this guy's like, he's got fancy footwork. Good for him. A little bit distracted by the John Vellante, John Vellante physique. I know he was he has already fought at heavyweight before, but for some reason he looked extra just plump and it just cracks me up because you can tell that he's just having a blast living life living that heavyweight life but the yeah the, the kick man no one saw that coming he's so flexible he got John Vellante and even when it was over and the ref called it it almost seemed like John Vellante also thought it was hilarious like he had a smirk on his face like I can't believe this dude just freaking spinning back kicked me and then you know I don't know if he saw the front flip or not that oh, had to I did. hurt I don't care. No, I mean, if, I don't know if Jean saw it, but that had to hurt. That's I wouldn't recommend doing that anymore. That's a tailbone crusher right there. But yeah, that that guy is um, entertaining. Let's see what happens in the next fight, because um, you see a lot of these. Like you think of um, the other guy, Michelle Pereira, Pajeda, whatever. How he was like dancing around and everything, and it was exciting at first, and then it, it it became like, well, you're not effective anymore, so you should stop that gimmick. But I don't think that Chris Barnett was fooling he wasn't playing around like he was just a skilled agile heavyweight who then did something spectacular with one of his one of his you know uh tools so curious to see what happens with him next Chido Vera man what was the beef why why did they all of a sudden get so mad at each other in the middle of the fight do you know uh Chido told us that you know what you know when Frankie says that he was saying he gonna beat me so I decided to flip him off he said but it's all love Frankie's a legend but he essentially said, like, he read Frankie's gamesmanship as a challenge, and that's how he reacted, essentially. Okay. Yeah, well, I he know. reacted viciously. So. Dude. Yeah. Beautiful front kick. Even more. By the way, uh, Lou Gresset, I believe I'm, if I butcher his last name, I'm sorry. Um, I talk to him a lot at events live. One of the nicest guys. I'm glad that picture's going around because that dude does fantastic work. By the way, edited my current profile picture on all social media accounts. I want to shout him out. That was a fantastic photo. I'm glad he's getting his credit. Um, uh, yeah, Cheeto with that one. Chris Barnett just living his best life. Like I said, we could go on and on, but it was yeah. just a good night. For my, okay, when I think about Jacksonville, where Rose and Usman got quick finishes, I was kind of like... Clearly, the happy medium is somewhere in the middle, because I think that my one takeaway from Jacksonville when they started ending too quick was like, no one got pushed to the limit. This was yeah. almost too easy for Valentina, for Rose. And so now, you know, five rounders, uh, you know what, after we got popping, it was hard for me to enjoy it the same way. But what I will say is... I think that if you put all the ingredients together, it's hard to not call this like a one of the best events ever. When you look at the what was on the line, how the people on the undercard and their storylines performed, I think it was just a great night. What about you? Yeah, I feel like the November cards never disappoint. And I I think back about to, um, I can't remember the number now, when Michael Bisping lost to George St. Pierre. That was the, knocked out Jan Jacek. And the TJ Dillashaw yeah, Cody, yeah, I think. Yeah, TJ Cody, yeah. 
That one, you know, part of why they're burnished in my brain is because it's always around my birthday. And so I'm always like, it's just, they're just connected. But like November, man, November cards are always fire, always. So keep them coming, guys. And by the way, MSG, it's the Madison Square Garden, yeah. New York effect. You know, people like to perform on the lights. But um, yeah, so good stuff. Not much in the way of MMA news. I didn't expect it to be because let's be honest, you're going from literally Fight Island, Contender Series, back to New York. It was always going to be like, we're not breaking news, we're just making news at this point, you yeah. know? Uh, I did see this one though. Uh, John Jones says he's leaving Jackson Wink. Did you see this tweet? Did you see this pop up? I did. Um, yeah, go ahead. So my one thought about it, I'm going to just cut to the chase very simply. I think that when I listened to um, Mike Winklejohn, I almost blanked on it even though he's in the name, I'm sorry, but when I listened to Winklejohn explain why Jones wasn't invited, it wasn't allowed in the gym right now, and you remember all the stuff from September that I'm not going to rehash for the sake of time, but I don't think it's an unfair request the fact that John kind of said, well, if it's if this is how it's going to be, I'm out. I was a little disappointed because have you not been the man at the gym? Have they not stood by you? Have they not, you know, continued to say this is the best guy and the best talent and this and that? Absolutely. And I think also something to be said is John Jones... I don't know if you read it, but I read it. One of his old coaches said that, you know, John would just, uh, you know, he'd enjoy his recreational substances and then train and this and that. And that was just how John worked. And sometimes John would, you know, sometimes John just wouldn't show up. And that was life. That That's John Jones training camp. I never saw John Jones, like, give the whole interview saying that's not true and all that. But if any part of that is in any way true, even intermittently, that's the kind of deal that you only get when you are so ingrained with the team. And so the thought of him leaving that, I can't tell you that I don't see him joining one of the other gyms. I think that the only way this works is he leaves to be the captain of his own ship somewhere and that is a very, very dangerous thing that does not historically work out for many people, even for even for a short amount of time in sports. What about you? Uh, yeah, that that spells disaster, I think, for someone who's displayed the decision making, the poor decision making <laughs> uh, skills that he has. I uh, was not surprised, actually, because he's he's shown us that he can be petty and this felt like a petty move. Um, you gotta think, you gotta figure that Winkle John Jackson, like that they didn't take this step lightly and that they probably spoke to him very paternally, lovingly, brotherly, like fraternally, I should say, man, we love you. We care for you. Like we're doing this for you and for our gym. I mean, we have a business here, but so I'm not surprised that he's saying, Oh, you know, I'm going to move on. And when someone tweeted to him, that uh, I can't remember what they said, something, but he, and he's saying that, you know, he, he agreed that the gym's not what it used to be. Well, I mean, we've heard a lot of fighters say that, Cerrone, Diego Sanchez and stuff. But I think when you were John Jones, like the gym was basically his, right? He could do whatever he wanted. So yep. all that is to say, I think it's a petty move. And I agree with you. It's not going to, it's not going to end well because of the track record he's he has. He doesn't make good decisions. He 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 reacts emotionally, and then he tries to pretend that he's cool, calm, and collected, but he's not. He's actually very, like, angry. He's a passive-aggressive kind of guy, and so um, that's what drives him. And I think that uh, I don't think we're going to see him in the cage anytime soon. Not not maybe twenty twenty three. At that point, who cares? Oh boy. You know, okay, I completely get your logic behind that answer, though. If I'm being honest. Yeah, to me, it's just, um, I kind of think about it at the end of the day, a personal level, because when you're Mike Weekle, John, Greg Jackson, and what I've heard is Greg Jackson's the nicest guy, but he has taken a very backseat to a lot of the business part of it. And is like, 
I'm just here to coach fighters. That's what I want to do. And, you know, that, that that's his prerogative. I do feel at a certain point it becomes the thing with, you know, Winkle John and maybe a lot of them that, you know, don't necessarily get their name on the, over the door. At a certain point, what are we saying when it's like, look, I mean, it can't be easy to say, yeah, John Jones is back in the gym and it's like, really, even though he did blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I think at a certain point, they also want to be like, we are not just encouraging behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Now, once again, like I said, is he going to go to ATT, AK, well, not AK, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean. All yeah. of these teams, there are teams he could be at, but I think that the dynamic is not going to be the same. So I only see him being the captain of his own ship. He's not going to go over there and Dan Lambert, Mike Brown in Florida are going to be like, oh, yeah, just show up when you want. No, you're talking about, you know, nuking your own team because they're going to be like, you know, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. How is John Jones? I don't care. He's John Jones. He could do that. So, yeah, that's not okay. But yeah, so that's really the, I mean, where does he go next? I don't know. I think all of that will be an interesting situation. Uh, Natalie, talking about it, the featherweights <laughs> this Saturday. By the way, also uh, Chris Cyborg, Sinead Kavanaugh in Bellator on Friday night, if I'm not mistaken. So, but, uh, Chris Cyborg, I think that's the big test real quick before we get into it. Um, I think uh, if Cyborg is slowing down, this is a more competitive fight. If Chris Cyborg is still Chris Cyborg... We've seen Sinead's uh, record. This should be her cyborgs, uh, the cyborg show. You get what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I acknowledge it. Let's move on to the featherweights. The hands versus the feet. Max Holloway in January, 445 significant strikes. More than any two fighters landed in a single fight combined. Jeepers. So he did all of the work. And you remember it. it was, he's he's uh, talking to DC while he's slipping punches. It was ridiculous. It was bananas. And then Yair Rodriguez, it's been over a year since he fought. Uh, I believe it's coming up on two years, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, against Jeremy Stevens. We know what he brings. Those That beautiful taekwondo spins, wheel kicks, goes like a tornado, always has things like the back elbow in his back pocket, right? He's a creative striker. He uses his imagination. But we also know it, what, what's at stake. If you're talking about a title shot for Max Holloway, any victory gets you Volkanovski. Yair Rodriguez, if you beat Max Holloway in any way, it gets you Volkanovski. This is a high-stakes fight. Once again, like I have said it, the hands versus the feet. Max is going to look to use his boxing. Yair must set up his kicks with his hands. And that could be what unravels it. Because if he could keep Max on the outside, obviously this becomes a very interesting fight. But you're talking about doing something that only Volkanovski's been able to do at featherweight. Not an easy task. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, excuse me. Sorry, guys. I have the sniffles here. So, And you've been um, handling it. May I say so? <laughs> I've been trying. Um, Max Holloway looks so good against Calvin Cater. I think you're the one that said it, though. Or maybe Volkanovski said it. I don't know. Either, you guys are the same in my head. Volkanovski, Gabriel Gonzalez. You know, <laughs> one and the same. Thank you. But one of, well, yeah, one of you two said it. Uh, you know, uh, Volkanovski uh, is no Calvin Cater, right? Calvin Cater is no Volkanovski. Where does Yari Rodriguez fall into that mix of Volkanovski, Calvin Cater? I guess I'd put him somewhere right in the middle. I'd say he's better than Calvin Cater, not as good as Volkanovski. So I think Max Holloway's the new and improved 2.0 Max Holloway. I think he's going to have a lot of success against Yari Rodriguez. Of course, he's going to have to watch for for the special skill set that Yair brings to the table. But Max is just too cool, too slick, too smart, too tough. Um, for Yair now Yair's tricky you know you think about the Korean zombie fight he was losing that through and through until the very last second could that happen to Max Holloway I don't know it could happen to anybody really but I think we're going to see another display of Max Max Holloway's greatness um yeah man that's sort of what I see here 
Yeah, to me, one of the things about Yair is that his entire offense, when it's at its best, really revolves around controlling the distance. He keeps you on the outside, so if he wants to spin, if he wants to really get that whip behind his kicks, he could do all that. Uh, in terms of when he's not able to do that, it, it, I'm not going to lie to you. It hasn't been this lights-out brilliance. He's not there like a traditional Muay Thai fighter, you know, bam, bam, whip with a kick, something like that. that. That's just never been his game. I do think a lot of his success comes around the fact that he's so good at keeping you at long range and making it very difficult for you to feel like you could get in there without really taking some damage. The thing with that for Max Holloway, I think it comes down to his defense. I think that you walk him down. You, you got a pewter yawn, Yara Rodriguez. Ha guard super high. Got to think you're going to have to eat a few kicks at the beginning of the round. And then you just got to keep staying in Yair's face. You got to make him feel like he does not have that distance. Because then Yair is fighting off of his heels. His style doesn't really work to that. Easier said than done. That being said, look at the talent you have executing such a game plan in Max Holloway. I think that's the really big key to it. Now, I'm going to give, I know Yair's, I believe he said he had an ankle injury and he was getting, you know, he took the pandemic and essentially got a bit of a, you know, the surgical stuff done that he'd been putting off. I think this is a real key. How much has he grown since fights like the Korean Zombie? How much has he grown since you know, Jeremy Stevens. He's improved. He's not the same guy who was, you know, blitzed by Frankie Edgar the last time he was in this uh, situation. However, you're talking about stylistically, you got to do something, you know, it, your boxing isn't comparable to Max's from what we've seen. And you're saying that you're going to try to overcome this at a time when Max Holloway is doing Max Holloway things. That's going to be a tall order to take. Not impossible, but I think we know just how good uh, Max Holloway could be. I am going to go Max Holloway. See, when I think about a unanimous decision, I remember it's 25 minutes. I am going to say a fourth round uh, TKO. I think at a certain point, it's just going to get a little too far away from uh, Yair, and that's just going to be all she wrote. Yeah, I'm with you on that, actually. I was going to say maybe fifth round, but no, I think it'll be fourth round, too. So we're in agreement. Um, obviously, uh, you know what? I'll say it. Uh, does the Volkanovski fight feel like a long time ago? Honestly? Yeah, sure does. Really? Was yeah. The, wait, hold on. Volkanovski Holloway or Volkanovski, Volkanovski Ortega? Ortega? Oh, no. No, it doesn't. Exactly. I'm like, I don't, you know, Alex, what are you, you know, no rush. Fight the winner, and then we can move on from there. Because remember, there's no Zabid anymore in the division. So this is essentially, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I almost want Yair to get it because if Alex beats Yair, that's a wrap uh, at featherweight. Everyone else is really at the yeah. second tier. So. No one's left. Yeah, and then, of course, you know what you get when you get Max and Alex together. It's a great display of mixed martial arts, so I'm looking forward to that, too. Um, guess what, Natalie? Guess who fights next week? Misha Tate. Exactly. <laughs> Kellen Vieira against your favorite Misha Tate. What are your thoughts as we head into next week? So I'm excited for this fight because I want to see how Misha Tate has improved, um, how she looks against a tougher opponent, and how Kellen Vieira looks too because, you know, we need a little life in this division. Misha Tate's just the person to give it to us because she's a big name. She looks great now. Uh, so, yeah. So, I think this is going to be good for 135. And what happened to uh, to Kayla Harrison, by the way? Side note. <sighs> Dana, we, well, I'm not going to lie. My, my dude, Drake Riggs, good friend of mine, sitting two feet to my left. I was ready. I'm like, so, Dana, did you talk to Kayla Harrison in the crowd? Drake steals it and asks, uh, like, uh, Dana, did you see Kayla Harrison? Dana says, she wasn't here. And the whole room, yes, yeah, she was. And he's like, oh, okay then. And I'm like, ah, Oh, uh, okay, he's being coy, okay. But I, t I told you, I was like, I want to see her there. And when I saw it, I'm like, 
sound like a genius. Dude, I know. I was like, I was telling my husband, I was like, Gabriel, I'll call you Double G. I was like, Double G predicted that Kayla Harrison would be at Madison Square Garden on uh, for UFC 269, and then she's there. So, yeah. I, I don't think they showed her on TV. Like, no, they no, certainly no. didn't highlight her. I but didn't see her. She I was sitting her, next. Yeah. I don't think she was there yet, but she was sitting next to Michael Bisping. I understand. So, ah. I don't think that she was there yet when they showed Michael and he had his big moment on TV. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, you know what? Next time, maybe, hey, her buddy Dustin Poirier from ATT is fighting in a month. Maybe that'll be the time. You don't know. But yeah. So guys, until then, have a good one. We'll be back next week to recap everything. Until then, take care.